As we enter the festive season, we say goodbye to the 2023 Formula One season. But today, we reminisce and we review the entire season. Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast. This is episode 358. And if you'd like to see or hear more from us in your social feed, why not give us a follow at Grid Talk UK everywhere you can find the at symbol. Today on Grid Talk, we are reviewing the F1 2023 season. So I hope you've brushed up on the words of the Dutch national anthem. I'm your host, Tom Horrocks. And today, I am joined by Hit the Apex host, Hi, guys. Hello. And before we get into this episode, we must thank our sponsor. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use uh, your mobile device to sign in today to get in on the action. Be sure to use your promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Okay, so we've we've it was a season of broken records and broken trophies, with all three races, all but three races being won by Max Verstappen, and only one race won by a non-Rebel driver. Verstappen led over a thousand laps finishing with 575 points. We saw 22 races. We didn't see races in Imola or China for very different reasons. And despite the domination, there was intrigue and there was and there was Ferrari and Mercedes not being as strong as people thought. McLaren and Aston had polar opposite starts and seemingly switched places with Alpine continuing to disappoint despite promising the earth. The battle from 7th to 10th was separated by only a handful of points, so there was a lot to remember throughout the season, and we're going to try and remind you of the best and the worst of that coming up. So to start with that, I'm going to come to you, Joe, and talk about for us your, what you thought was your favourite race, your favourite moment, and the biggest surprise of the season, just to kick things off. Yes, yeah, looking back on the races this year, there was quite a few crackers, and there's always one that just... For me, it's always a special one every year, and that's got to be Silverstone. Just that opening lap, I think, with the way both the McLarens attacked Max Verstappen going into turn one, Lando taking the lead, the the cheers from the crowds. I don't know if they turn up the volume through the TV direction or not for the crowd, but it just it's like a it's like a mega theater. It's so amazing, and then. Seeing Oscar Piastri as well, the rookie, really competitive as well for the first time through the season, attacking Verstappen like a little, like a little chihuahua or something, and yeah, it was entertaining. And like last year as well, and then the year before that, Silverstone is just a track that always brings with it great racing without need for tire management and all the other artificial bits and pieces. It's just a track that is everyone's favorite you've got to say and yeah it always put on a show so for me Silverstone was my favorite race my favorite moment because I've been a fan of these two since they were McLaren teammates way back when but the Carl Lando podium in Singapore so Carlos Sainz winning uh, the race of course and Lando his good mate finishing second and also the the cheeky little tactics that they used towards the end of the race to secure that one-two result for them even though they're both on different teams and such a cracking battle with the Mercedes drivers behind as well and eventually seeing what happened to George Russell too and then my biggest surprise of the year there was quite a few options to choose from and I think 
The biggest one for me, being a, a skeptic coming into this season and all the hype and hyperbole that went around Las Vegas, I want to say that was my biggest surprise, that it turned that negative story around with a really good race on Sunday. We had Red Bull versus Ferrari, Leclerc versus Verstappen, Perez was up there as well, and there was all sorts of drama going on through the race, and we had a good motor race at the end of the day, and... All the drama that happened earlier in the weekend, which we've covered extensively in this show, I think for the $500 million investment that F1 has put into Vegas, it's here to stay. There's nothing we can do about it, but hope that we continue getting good racing like we did on Sunday, not too long ago. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm happy Vegas is here to stay. To be honest, that was a cracking weekend. And I echo your points there for, for the British Grand Prix and the Carlando podium. That's some great moments there. And it's easy to forget how good a season we have had as well. But no no guesses, no surprises for guessing that Singapore would be on people's favourite races of the season, definitely. Or well, certainly that element of it. Louis, moving on to you, your moments of the season, please. I've got mine just swapped around with Jared, really, because my favourite race of this season was Singapore. That was such a tense battle. I loved every single moment of that end bit. Despite the fact that Max wasn't in the race, he then started charging through the field towards the end, making some great overtakes. The tension between the Mercedes and the the McLaren and the Ferrari, it was so good. It was, for me, the best race of the season. Best moment... It's going to be from Silverstone, and it was Lando taking the lead. At, uh, it was so good. I was. It was just a euphoric moment. And then later, him getting his first podium of the year at Silverstone. It felt incredible. It was definitely my favorite moment. As for my biggest surprise, I have done something different. I am not, not to go with Vegas, but for me, it was when Guan Yu Zhou was the star of qualifying in Hungary. He was setting these great laps on these hard tyres and we we're thinking, oh my God, what has happened to this this Alfa Romeo? Then he gets P6 and we're like, this is great. It's going to do such amazing things. And then completely ruins his lap before, <laughs> it ruins his race before he gets to turn one in the race. I think it was great. It was a very surprising moment for me. <laughs> Well, you all got a little bit of shardin just to really kick things off, yeah. No, it's uh, a cracking season in places. It just I've, I was saying before we started, I'd love to do the maths and take Verstappen out of the standings and, and reevaluate each race as if he wasn't there and see how that race would have panned out and how different the points would have been rather than just removing his points and just seeing where things lay, just actually seeing if he wasn't there, how would that race have panned out and then just reassessing the points and just see where we were just for a little bit of fantasy, just to see how things would have panned out. But we're going to start off the uh, inevitably starting at the back. We're going to have um, some fairly negative starts to this. So coming to you, Jawa, then we're going to talk about the Hasp team. They finished last in the championship, just 12 points, starting well, sitting seventh after Australia, but only managed five points after that and eventually hit bottom spot in Mexico. Where does this team go from here and what is their what is their point in existence really at the moment? Because they promised so much in 2022 and it was like their brand new start and they've just reverted back to point ready for the second season. I think he summed it up, Tom, in saying what is the point of this team existing in F1 at the moment? Because they've got such an interesting model in that they buy in as many parts as they can without having to make them themselves, you know, through Delara and Ferrari. And it may have 
benefited them in the early days back when they first came into the sport in 2016. But the Formula One is so complex, it evolves year in, year out, month to month and whatnot. And Haas just seems like a team that's gotten stuck in a different era. They've not really brought much development to this car, I don't believe, either. They start off the season strong, which has been their mantra in several seasons, and then just, yeah, and like you said, they hit rock bottom in Mexico when they were relegated to the bottom of the table. And I think with them coming off the back of 2022, making a lot of noise about how if they had two experienced drivers to score points and be consistent, that they would be in a better position. Seeing that not really come to fruition this year for them kind of feels like a kick up the backside. Yes, Mick Schumacher was rough around the edges and whatnot, but Nico Hulkenberg has come into the team and he's basically done everything he can given the car, he's, the car that he was provided. And I feel Mick probably wouldn't have done any better either if the car was this bad, as we've seen with Magnussen's performances. Now, he's had a pair of P10s, inevitably scored more points, or sorry, scored on more occasions than Hulkenberg has. Hulkenberg had that P7 back in Australia, of course, with the circumstances we had at the end of that race, and then some points in the sprint race in Austria. And the problem that they've had is, you know, they're great in terms of qualifying or putting together a single lap, but then in a race, they just fall backwards because they can't fire their tires up or they fire them up too much and they overheat. And this is a problem that goes back to the last set of regulations. We remember in 2018 where they famously fell away so badly in the races. How is this still a problem for them when we've got a completely new set of regulations and new car with the ground effect rules and whatnot? So there's got to be serious questions asked, not only to Gunter Steiner and uh, from Gene Haas and everything, but I guess Haas has got to ask himself too, what, what's the point of doing this? Because You've got other teams who are chomping at the bit. I won't name names, but we know who we're talking about. Chomping at the bit to get into F1 and seem like they want to do it properly. Come in with a with an engine manufacturer, do everything themselves. Yet yeah, we've got Haas that just seem like they're making up the numbers at the moment. And it's really disappointing. And the fact that hearing some of our um, North American hosts on this show through the years saying that they don't even identify with Haas being an American team as well. It's It sounds pretty harsh and I can understand what they're saying because, yeah, they just, you, you want to poke them and say do something, but they'll probably freak out and ruin their tyres in a lap. So, yeah, disappointing season for them overall. Good to see Hulkenberg back though, if you want some positivity because three years away from the sport full-time and he comes back and immediately he's on the pace and has the measure of his teammate in qualifying. So yeah, it'll be an interesting one next year to see and if Hulkenberg certainly has the patience to hang around with this team that's consigned to the rear for, for the foreseeable future as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, Hulkenberg has been the most refreshing thing from that team. And I was against him getting that to that drive. And I've said that many times before that I was wrong in that. And he's really shown that he's got, still got lots to offer F1. And if I were Williams, I would have been looking potentially to see if he could have got out of that contract, if there was any kind of way he could get out of that and get him in that team. Because imagine a, an Albert Hulk Hulkenberg team 
for Williams next season, trying to consolidate that seventh place. I think that would have been a strong lineup. But he was already committed to Haas after that Australian Grand Prix. They began contact, contract negotiations for next year, and and yeah, they they signed him up. So well done to them. But I think. Hulkenberg may well have had some other options there potentially had he not signed that contract because he did do exceptionally well. But Alfa Romeo are the next team then, Louis, with just the 16 points there, dropping to ninth. And it, they look in real danger of finishing last until that big points haul, six-point haul in Qatar. They matched Haas's point scoring frequency almost identically in the second half of the season. Without saying the words waiting for Audi, which is their three-word review, what's happened at Hinville this year? Not a lot at all. Also, another thing on Hulkenberg, he was robbed of a podium in Australia and the FIA need to do better. But I will move on. Alfa Romeo, really boring. <laughs> really, uh, not a lot to say. They are the most bland team on the grid. They are the F1 equivalent of vanilla ice cream. They are just plain. They are boring. At least next year they have a new ne- new name, sort of new name. They go back to Sauber. <laughs> Might have a different colour car, but I think the results are going to be pretty much the same as this year, and that is going to be pretty average. Most of the time outside the top 10, not expecting much. Occasionally Bottas will do well, score some great points, like they did in Qatar, like you mentioned. It was their only real good, solid weekend out of the entire year where we saw both cars consistently doing well not floundering around with the Haas and the Williams actually competing and it was quite refreshing it was quite nice to see them do that but the rest of the season was pretty dull and things need to change at that team and maybe in the future in 2026 that might happen it may well. We all hope so, without mentioning the four-word German manufacturer. But to the other Alpha team, which will also not be on the grid next year, which will automatically promote Alpine up a couple of places in the alphabetical order table, the best they can hope for, I think, is AlphaTauri then, Jared. And they finished on 25 points with a late-season surge. Another team transitioning to another name. A dire season in prospects with the team going from calamity to calamity and driver to driver, but 20 points in their last five races rescued their season. What do you put that down to? And importantly, more importantly than that, what are you going to name the team next year? Because my choice would be Red Bull Minardi. That's what I would go with. (laughs) I love the throwback there to classic Minardi, but I have no clue, to be honest, what I would name the team. It would definitely not be Racing Bulls because that just sounds awful or Boss Bulls Racing, which was floated as well. Whoever Red Bull are employing as their creative team, I think you all need to be sacked. But anyway, that's a conversation for another time. What do I put down their season, late season resurgence to? A, they finally got some upgrades on the car that worked, which was good, and then finding some consistency with their driver lineup too. I want to point out firstly, Yuki Tsunoda has had a pretty impressive season, given the fact that He came into the season (laughs) as de facto team leader, which sounds really weird, even though Sonoda's in his third season now full-time. Who would have thought that, yeah, he'd be leading one of the most inexperienced lineups on the grid this year, but he was solid as much as he could be, getting some 10th places early on, and then, yeah, later in the season when the hand-me-down upgrades did come in, getting 
better results. And then just that drive in Abu Dhabi last weekend was phenomenal. Qualifying sixth and then being in with a sniff of overtaking Williams in the championship. I don't think anyone saw that when they hit their rock bottom. They shafted Nick DeVries after 10 races. And yes, Nick DeVries was part of this season in F1. It's easy to forget all that calamity, as you said, at the start of the year. But for me, at least, Sunoda was a highlight in a good way this time. He had some solid teammates later in the season back him up. I'm going to always sing the praises of Liam Lawson, and I do feel for him a little bit not to be on the grid next year. But also, I was proven wrong about Daniel Ricciardo as well. I was very much against the prospect of him being parachuted into that seat after they sacked De Vries. And then he goes and breaks his wrists or breaks his hand at Zandvoort and misses another few races. But Mexico was vintage Ricardo, the last of the late breakers, some of the boldest uh, overtakes that we saw from him back in his career at Red Bull. And it was like, whoa, he suddenly rediscovered himself again. Where was this when we needed it at McLaren? But yeah, to go from being very sceptical and scathing, really, I felt really incensed that here's a driver that He's been given his opportunity. He's made millions. He got shown up in his two years at McLaren, and I still feel a bit salty for him to ditch Renault the way he did as well after committing to them or seemingly committing to them. That, yeah, he's on the verge of going back to where it all started when he left Red Bull in the first place at the end of 2018. Whatever comes of that next year and and clauses and mechanisms in, in contracts of certain drivers... Remains to be seen, but yeah, Alpha Tauri, overall, I guess they ended the season better than they started, but the fact that this is a team that I feel has had an identity crisis for the last little while, this used to be very much a team centered around training and nurturing Red Bull's junior drivers, of which we were just having that discussion before the show started about there, there doesn't seem to be any talent even in F2 at the moment, that would seem like they would cut it in F1. And I know there's a lot of Red Bull affiliate drivers in F2 at the moment, but neither of them look like they're they're ready to cut it except for Lawson. But even Sonoda, as good as he's been this season, I still don't see him with a future of Red Bull Racing. He doesn't seem cut out to be a Red Bull Racing driver because you look at the moulds of your Sebastian Vettels and Max Verstappen's, Sonoda, unfortunately, doesn't fit that bill. He's he's still developing, and it will be interesting to see what his 2024 looks like. And, of course, with Daniel Ricciardo there, at least for the start of the season. Yeah, it does seem to be a, uh, a team that just, they keep changing focus. I remember they were, starts off being very much the junior team with a customer car, and then they had to start building their own car. And then they decided to just keep taking more and more from the Red Bull. And then they decided again that they were going to start building everything themselves. And it just keeps changing and changing. And now they've gone back to the model of taking as much as possible from Red Bull, which is, like you say, the, the hand-me-downs late in the season, switching their concept much more to the Red Bull. So it was much more of a a concept switch rather than an upgrade because given next year they're going to be taking so much more Red Bull parts, it made sense to to focus on changing that philosophy. And and that's why they all of a sudden had a bit of an influx at the end of the season. Good for them because it gave us a bit of intrigue at the end of the season that actually gave the team purpose and Ricardo some decent points as well. But yeah, it's it's difficult to see where that team is going. I think they'll have a better season next year. But I can honestly see it just being, it's a financial exercise now just to make it cost neutral. 
for the rebel organization and if it continues to not do that then who knows what's going to happen if i were if i were one of those teams that missed out on getting into f1 i would definitely be looking at potentially trying to buy that team but a slightly better news story then the first of our positive positive teams then is the williams team louis and 28 points to round out this section of the field they are the midfield winners and brought an upgrades to Canada where they scored six points on debut and continued to score frequently for the rest of the season without a single upgrade thereafter. Very much focusing on next year. So how impressive is, is this given that they only really fell away in the last couple of races? Yeah, it was like a nice quick turnaround from, from Williams with those new upgrades. And the car started really suiting that sort of low downforce, slow corner kind of tracks and... Thankfully, as you get into that European season in the middle, those sort of tracks kept coming where they could use their tremendous straight line speed to keep some of the definitely faster cars behind. And they did it very well. And Albon, especially, I should probably say, Albon did it very well. Sergeant, not so much. But I think we've really seen now some of the best racing from Alex Albon that we've seen since he came into Formula 1. We know he had a great sort of like good first six months in Formula 1 with Toro Rosso at the time. But now we're seeing a much more mature, a much more, I think, relaxed and calm Albon. Someone who has a lot more faith in themselves. Last year, he had a lot to prove after taking a year out. But this year, he's accustomed to the team. He's relaxed. And we have been seeing consistently really good performances often into Q3, often in the points, doing really well. And I think the direction that James Viles is taking that team is very impressive. And I'm hopefully it continues. Williams are not back per se. They're definitely, we're not going to be like screaming that, oh, Williams are back and competitive. It's still going to take time. But I think there's a very clear direction that Williams are taking. And I hope that it continues. On the other hand, Logan Sargent, not the best this season, picked up his only his first set of points on a technicality with Leclerc and Hamilton being disqualified in Austin. Fair enough, got it in his, his home like his home race, one of three that he had this year. But he wasn't particularly impressive for most of the season. But I strongly believe that you never really should judge a rookie too much in their first season and I think there's definitely room for improvement he's he's been confirmed yesterday when we're recording this that he's got the seat again for next year which I think is a logical choice from Williams as we were talking earlier they couldn't get Hulkenberg and there's no one really that they can take from the talent pool outside of Formula 1 that I think A that they could afford and B that would actually continue to improve the team as a new driver so yeah I think give Sargent another year see how he does but I think if we see more of the same then it might be a goodbye to the American yeah and uh, if you look at it as well if, if they'd have had a different driver in the car they wouldn't have got finished any higher in the championship and it wouldn't have made any difference. And they've still they've still managed to maintain seventh. Only just, but they have managed to maintain seventh. So it was a risk worth taking. And you never know, he might just do better next year. And I did say last year that I thought he was in F1 a year too early. 
just I just thought he was just a little bit underbaked still for Formula One. But he's got through the season. He scored his points and or point rather, and so he's managed to avoid the ignominy of a finishing level with Nick De Vries, who had <laughs> zero points in uh, only obviously only doing like the nine races, but still zero points in a in a finishing twenty second in a twenty car championship with no points. But yeah, so he's managed to avoid that. At least, anyway. So that's good, and you never know. Like next year, if he comes on, then that's uh, in a better team. I think Williams will will look to to that as a as definitely a positive. But like you say, if he has a similar season next season in a better car, still only scoring a handful of points, then I think they'll definitely be looking elsewhere because they'll need a strong driver in that second driver in that car moving forwards because they're not going to be able to keep Albon unless they're winning races or getting close to podiums in the next couple of years. They're not going to be able to keep Albon because someone's going to come and take him because he's definitely proven that uh, Red Bull were wrong to to drop him in the first place. We were discussing and he was just saying that he, his pace relative to Max Verstappen was better than Perez's, which is what I've been saying for a few years. Hence my my bet against Perez. But so yeah, there we go. That's Williams for you. But if you are enjoying this podcast, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating on Spotify and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. As, uh, we love to hear from you as well. Please leave comments in the, in our YouTube and, and on the channels. And if you are one of those listeners who are not subscribed to our channel, why not subscribe now and make sure you never miss a show again by clicking the bell. We've got over 2,000 subscribers on YouTube and we thank you for all your support. So please consider sharing this with a friend so that we can continue doing what we're doing. But we'll we'll start the second half of the season. I know we said we'll be a lot more a lot more positive, but a slight negative to start the second half of the uh, of the podcast, which is Alpine, 128 points, off track politics dominating proceedings. Jared and uh, drivers battling on and off track. They are definitely friends. Alpine will tell us they're definitely friends, but we know they're not. A distant sixth place makes them the third piece of bread in the middle of the Big Mac. Has their season really been as unimaginative and soggy as that? And is their only purpose separating the top and the bottom? Pretty much, I would say they've made more headlines uh, this season off the track. Unfortunately, with the sort of cesspool of political infighting that's been going on and staff being moved on, moved around, the investment that apparently has been brought to the team by Hollywood A-listers and whatnot, what relevance does that have to their on-track performance? Is that something that they've been lacking for quite some time now and I think it was after the announcement that Otmar Zafnauer had left the team along with longtime sporting director Alan Permain. I came on this show and gave a pretty emphatic and emotional rant about how this is a team that just doesn't look like they're ever going to take a step towards the front of the grid and that's all down to what's going on in the boardroom and this culture of blame and unaccountability that seems to be rife within the team whether it was you go as far back as when Cyril Abitable was in charge to what Laurent Rossi did in Miami this year where he publicly dressed down the team and basically said it's everyone's fault I'm not to blame you know you need to learn from your mistakes um, I'm, I've got my hands clean here so, you know, it's sad given the fact that this team did score two podiums this year Esteban Ocon in my Monaco sorry and that was quite a special one for a French driver to take a podium in Monaco and obviously French team too of course and Pierre Gasly somehow getting on the podium in at Zandvoort too but off the track and then on the track too these two best of friends you say somehow finding each other at the most inopportune moments melbourne was an opportunity for them to potentially score big but ended up botching it on the 
one of the restarts and took both the cars out coming out of turn two. It's I just don't know with this team what what next. They say they've got another hundred race plan or five year plan. What are they going to do? They need some serious leadership, and I know they've got Bruno Famine currently in charge of the race team and and CEO as well. But it almost feels he was last man standing with all these other people moving around. Laura Rossi is pretty much on gardening leave, although they call it special projects or whatever. Safnauer gone, Permain gone. They also lost Pat Fry to Williams as well. Who do they have technically there? And I know that Matt Harmon's been there a while and he's probably stepping it up, but they just don't seem to have any kind of prospects. And until this off-track political cool nonsense can be sorted within the team i don't think they're gonna make any progress and it's it's quite damning when you look back to when renault made the decision to rebrand the team as alpine it was probably for the best that they did because with all this uh negativity around them the the negative headlines about renault probably wouldn't have been good for their press and and for france as a whole because this is this team represents france like I'm using one of Rossi's quotes against him now that he wants, I think it was Luca De Mayo, the CEO, he wants Alpine or the Renault F1 team, whatever, to be the Ferrari of France. Now, take that quote and do with it what you want, but at the moment, they look nowhere near as being as competitive as Ferrari, and that's a compliment to Ferrari at the moment. But yeah, I think with the Hollywood stuff aside... They need to start delivering on track and being consistent, and then that's when we can start to take this team seriously. This year, they finished in no man's land, really, in six, with a big gap behind them and then a big gap ahead of them, too. What was it coming into the season? Safnauer's goal was to finish as close to the top three or make a step towards the top three this year. They've lost two positions on that promise and finished down in six behind two teams that actually got themselves or made strides for 2023. So, yeah, nothing more I can say um, that's either positive or negative about Alpine. Damning, damning indictment indeed, but uh, I think it's probably echoed amongst this panel every word you've said. Well done there. So moving on to Aston Martin and Louis, very, a tale of two halves and a tale of two drivers, a much lauded team at the start of the season. They were lauded as title contenders and ended out losing out to McLaren to finish fifth. A definite improvement for the Jordan Midlands Biker Force India Racing Point Aston Martin team, but overall, is Lauren Stroll happy or sad face emoji? I'm say sad. Definitely sad face emoji. Because yeah, title contenders was a sort of a thing that the Alonso hype train was definitely a thing for about four races. And then it scattered into the breeze, which then later hit Lance Stroll when he eventually caught up to it. But yeah, as a lifelong Fernando Alonso fan, it was great. I was loving the start of this season. I was like this is amazing. Fernando is back on the podiums. He's back looking competitive. I am on the Fernando hype train. He's going to be the 2023 world champion. And then it just got worse and worse. And I'm watching as, oh, now the Ferraris are starting to beat them. Oh, now even the Mercedes. Oh my God, McLaren are actually leaving them in the dirt. It's, it was not, it was not fun from like the middle point of the season onwards. And I think it just came to down to one serious 
issue, development. Aston Martin, as long as they've been Aston Martin, and to be honest, when they were a racing point as well, they have a history of starting well and just dying because they cannot seem to bring effective upgrades to that car and stuff that actually keeps them competitive for an entire season. They're often only very competitive in batches. And as we saw, they had a great start and then a very good last-ditch attempt to try and continue fighting for both in the constructors and for Fernando to try and fight Lewis and the drivers. It, Yeah, it was... It definitely wasn't a good look for Aston Martin, especially given just how well they started. And now they've got a new factory. There's been so much pumped into this team. It is time for them to deliver. And it's time for them to start really showing that they are a constructor to be contended with. Because right now they look scary in times and then others they often forgotten about. And I think the key reason behind that is the second driver, the, the car number... 18. I said this in the Abu Dhabi review. It is time to have a serious word about Lance Stroll. It, like, I don't know how much longer he can continue being daddy's cash, Nepo baby kind of driver in Formula One. It's people seem to forget this. Oh, given time, this he's been in Formula One a very long time now. People seem to forget that Lance Stroll has been in Formula 1 a long time and the issues that he has around his qualifying, his general consistency, has been an issue since his first season in Formula 1. We're not seeing the year-on-year progression that we would expect to see a driver that maybe he wasn't in the best car. He definitely was not in the best car when he came into Formula 1. That Williams was atrocious. But even when he's been in competitive cars, when the racing, sorry, when he was in the tracing point, he wasn't really that much better. When Hulkenberg came in for those super sub races, when Vettel got COVID and when Checker got COVID, he beat Stroll. Stroll's arguably best race is when he was still bro- uh, racing with broken wrists and broken toes. Does this mean that we need to start breaking bones before races, literally breaking a leg before a race for him to actually start competing and getting good results? It's not good for him, but he then just didn't do anything this season. And he's got a contract next year. Obviously, he's probably got contracts for years and years to come, but there needs to be a time where uh, Lawrence Stroll goes, look, the thing that is actually costing my team points, costing my team money, because they're going to lose a lot of money, constructors' money, if they don't get the results, is my son. And maybe it's time for him to move on when he's been beaten by a near forty-year-old. Well, by near, you mean over? He's is he forty-one now? I think, or he's certainly close to that. But he's he's like nearly double my age. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm older than Fernando Alonso. Oh no, no, he's older than me. He's older than me. I think. Just maybe. Who knows? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Very much. When McLaren said after four races they're in a fight with Aston Martin for the for the constructors' championship, I was like, "Come on, do us a favour." But they were, and we are moving on to McLaren next, Jared. And three hundred and two points, fourth place, two pointless races to start the season. But Australia aside, they were looking like a back of the grid team until that Austria upgrade, which saw them score points at every event thereafter. 
They scored 47 points in Qatar and the only team to score more than that in a race weekend was Red Bull. And they didn't even win the Grand Prix that weekend either. So how impressive was their second half of the season? But will they be annoyed that they didn't clock onto this approach sooner so they could have potentially won some races this year? Yeah, first of all, amazing second half to the season. I think most of us on Grid Talk are McLaren fans or McLaren is our second favourite team and couldn't be any more happier with what we've seen except for if there was a race win. Could they have clocked on any sooner? I think no. They unfortunately had to overcome this hurdle naturally and it was quite important with the transition in team principles, of course, with Andreas Seidel going off to uh, head up the Audi project there with Sauber and the decision to let go of James Key as well, who was the architect of the 2022 car and had the development all on that concept for them to basically, with Andreas Stella being promoted to team principal and got to say between him and James Vowles this year, two of my favourite team principals, they've got new into the role. They've both gone about their role in quite an interesting way and quite an effective way too. But yeah, for them to make those realizations, if they didn't do that, then they wouldn't have been able to go in this other direction. And it's a so much more positive direction. They've been quick at majority of the high downforce tracks, tracks with fast corners. They're still lacking in a straight line and tracks like that we saw at Spa how what happened to Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri in the sprint as well but he still put in some good results there's a lot of positivity I think heading into 24 where we knew all along that was 24 and 25 when they'd get the new wind tunnel and that development infrastructure online and I think they're in a better position with the technical lineup that they've got with the likes of Neil Holdy, Peter Pedromu that are there, and then also getting in Dave Sanchez and, and Rob Marshall coming in from Red Bull, it's going to be a lot more positive than what they were doing under James Key. And I guess it's unfortunate for Key. This is McLaren. This is a team that most of us will have been used to them winning through the 2000s and 90s and whatnot. And for them this year as well, when you mentioned the points tally, this is the first time since 2012 that they've scored over 300 points in a season. And short of winning a Grand Prix, I think this has been a phenomenal season. Lando having his best season, he's finished sixth before in the championship, but he hasn't scored this many points with seven podiums as well, including a podium at home for him at Silverstone. That would have been special. And then Oscar Piastri, what, what more can I say about him? Him coming in after the torrid year that he would have had with the contract saga at Alpine and everything and the notoriety he would have gained and it unnaturally there'd be attention on him to what can he do and then yes starting his Formula One career for McLaren with a DNF probably not the the best thing but for him to then come back score a couple of podiums he was sprint winner as well in Qatar and the way he challenged Verstappen at the at the sprint in Spa and, and Silverstone as well. This is a guy that's going to cause some trouble, I think, in the future. When McLaren are in a position when they can win races, him and Lando, that's going to be a very interesting dynamic. And we saw at moments this year Lando just getting a little bit irritated when they wouldn't swap positions and whatnot, or if the other driver got the better end of the strategy. So it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. And the way that 
Oscar goes by, by he uh, goes about his business, I should say. Very calm, very cool character. Doesn't seem very disturbed or flappable by anything. So watch out. The fact that McLaren have signed him long term as well, beyond what Norris is set to be with the team for as well, shows that they've found something really special and the team are in a special place at the moment. So short of predicting that they'll be in the title hunt next year, which who knows with the way Red Bull are developing, I really hope that they'll be able to notch up some first career wins for both Oscar and Lando. Surely for Lando, because he's <laughs> waited so long for this first one and he needs to get those ghosts of Russia 21 away. Yeah, absolutely. A, a solid second half of the season, though, you say, though. Norris, I was certain he was going to get fourth in the championship, to be honest. So to finish sixth would seem a little bit of a disappointment. He's not on the top step, so I'm pretty sure he's not going to be... He's not too worried. It's just about getting that first win all for him now. And Piastri, phenomenal debut year. Really strong. It's all looking rosy for McLaren. Now, we're moving on there, Louis, to the team in red. Everyone's favourite team, apparently. Narrowly missing out on second. Only failed to score points in one event. And recovered well from a mid-season blip to bring themselves back into the five for second. But is this a season of missed opportunities, Ferrari, or a building year for Fred Vassar in his first year? I had Ferrari. It's <laughs> they're they're so good yet so terrible. It's weird to talk about sometimes of just how because they have been good. There's been no doubt. Like we've seen spells of Ferrari this season. They've been great, and it's been a pleasure to watch. And then. The inconsistency and the reliability for Charles Leclerc this season has definitely been an issue. And not to mention signs also having a couple of DNFs. Yeah, it's... I think for his first year, I think Fred Russell has done a pretty good job. It does seem like we've got a bit more of a steadier ship at Ferrari than we've seen maybe under the last sort of couple of team principles but yeah I think they definitely will be licking their wounds at some points of the season where they really should have done better could have done better for me Abu Dhabi was a kind of reflection of Ferrari season one car doing quite well one hand they're doing quite well Charles doing a pretty good job on the other hand Carlos representing kind of the bad times and then the unfortunate times that they've had this season and ultimately not really having that fight for the championship it was weird to see that Charles was the only person who really cared about getting P2 the fact he willingly gave up track position but then didn't really slow down George Russell to like take the points off him it was like a weird mess which Ferrari are at times but I think they've definitely had a had an okay season by Ferrari standards and what we should come to expect from Ferrari. I do definitely hope for more next year from them and maybe they can take this last, um, this extra wind tunnel time, extra development time that they've got to build a, a better and more competitive car. Yeah, no, it's been, a, it's been a decent season in the end, really, for our bad start and then, yeah, just not really maximising. But moving on, though, to Mercedes, they started off the season by optimising quite well, but they fell away towards the end. And uh, adds 409 points, no race wins for the first time since 2011 and with only a handful of podiums. Uh, 
the comparison to last year, they may have finished one place higher, but surely they'll be disappointed with their overall performance, Joe. Yeah, short of what I said earlier about my biggest surprise of the year being Vegas successful, I would have said otherwise how disappointing Mercedes were was my biggest surprise. I would have thought that after last year, the hiccup that they had going down this zero side pod route, that they would have rectified that going into this year. But instead, they used Brazil, the win there with George Russell was a bit of a, they took that as a false dawn and then continued down this route until Barcelona where they decided, no, it's not the way and brought James Allison back in charge and did a sideways swap with Mike Elliott, who's now no longer with the team. And then, yeah, from there, like you say, they've only accumulated a handful of podiums short of, even though he didn't win a race again for the second year running, Hamilton has had a pretty strong season. He's in these character testing times, he's shown that he can be the leader that he needs to be, the seven-time world champion, the ambassador for the team and everything. And it's been refreshing to see that. But at the same time, when does his patience run out? I know he is quite loyal to that team and that organization. But yeah, when does that patience run out if they can't show some serious steps next year? And George Russell, I guess it was a real come down, coming down to earth season for him after having what he would have called a successful year last year, winning a race as well. Unreliability, all sorts of problems. And then Singapore just seemed like a bit of a immature moment as well for him. He's going up against a seven-time world champion. Yes, there were a lot of people like, this is going to be an interesting dynamic and we could see fireworks there at Mercedes. But with the points as they were at the end of the year and the performances that we saw from both drivers, it's clear who is still top dog at Mercedes and pole position in Hungary was a highlight of that. But I think more importantly for Mercedes is to get that car sorted, get the get back on track because for a team that won eight years in a row, it almost seems unacceptable to see them slip up this way. Not that there'll be people out there who hope they don't see Mercedes win again. For a team that achieved and sustained that level of success for such a long time, it does seem very puzzling and bizarre that it would just go horribly wrong. And for them to, compared to last year, seemingly go backwards or rather than forwards seems very confusing too. Yeah, overall, they finished second, whoop-de-doo, but it seems like a bit of a disappointing season for them. Yeah, absolutely. And Lewis Hamilton especially are going to be very disappointed with that. George, very much used to a bad car. Uh, Hamilton not, which is why I, I think you see over one lap, George seems to have the measure of Hamilton, certainly equal to Hamilton. But in, in the race pace, Hamilton just, just seems to still have the edge very slightly. But there's not a lot in it, and George will continue to get better. Hamilton would have peaked. So it's it's going to be an interesting dynamic. If they've got a competitive car next year, that's going to be a spicy relationship. But moving on then to, we can't forget about Red Bull, Louis. 860 points. Not enough can be said about how impressive their season has been, but there's still room for improvement just looking at the number 11 car and I wouldn't bet against them next season. How have you rated their performance as a team and how they manage their driver situation as well? Because it's it could be judged in one of two ways, that, that dynamic. I think the best way to sum up Red Bull is two words. Almost unbeatable. Because... They won 21 out of 22 races. And their race that they didn't win, they were completely off the pace. We'd seen so much dominance and then suddenly we're looking at Max 
struggling to even get to grips with a car which he's felt so comfortable with all season. They were not as dominant in qualifying. Charles Leclerc picked up five pole positions this year and they were definitely being attacked by the McLarens at times. Uh, even the, the Mercs were throwing their hat into the ring now and again. Yeah, it's been far from like the perfect season, despite what the um, and the drivers' titles will tell you. There is definitely still places to to improve from Red Bull, which is quite scary to think about. But Red Bull this season have been the model team. They've they've had a driver who has completely taken to every single challenge thrown at him this season winning so many races, doing a phenomenal job and proving to people his world championships have never been a fluke. He is really good. Regardless of what you might think of that just happened, regardless of past events, I'm not going to mention which event, but I think everyone knows what event. He is a phenomenal driver. Max Verstappen, I would say, is definitely the best driver in Formula 1 right now and this season showed why he just annihilated everyone and he is superb however there is a not so superb driver in the other seat and I think in fairness to Checo you are against Max Verstappen I don't think I think even if you stuck Lewis Hamilton in that second seat this season I still don't think he would have been that close. Max is just too comfortable. He's just really, he may come onto the the radio and have a whinge and a moan, but that is just Max. And I think we just need to accept that Max does like to have a bit of a whinge and a moan every now and again. I think his season would be pretty boring if he didn't, to be completely honest. I think he'd be sat in the third going, oh, this, everything's great. I think it's nice just to have a bit of a wind up (laughs) every now and again, just to make things a bit more interesting. But, Speaking of Checo, he has not been anywhere near where he should have been. Realistically, Red Bull should have been one two, one two, one two, one two all season. But that just didn't happen. It started happening at the beginning of the season. We were thinking, great, we Checo is doing like a Valtteri Bottas, and he's actually putting up a bit of a fight at the start of the season. This could be interesting. But Unlike Valtteri Bottas, he didn't continue to be P2 when Max was completely dominating. He was struggling sometimes to get out of Q1, sometimes going out in Q2. When he was in Q3, barely making it into the top five, he was being quite comfortably beaten by the McLarens in the second half of the season, and then the Mercedes and the Ferraris. And it's not what Red Bull need. It's two drivers being fiercely competitive, but I also think that Red Bull are afraid of that. I think every team is afraid of having two very competitive drivers. We saw what happened at Mercedes with Lewis and Nico. It got ugly. We've seen it happen at Red Bull in the past with Weber and Vettel. It got ugly. It's a history in Formula 1 where you have two incredibly good, incredibly competitive drivers battling each other in the same team. It gets ugly and it's not nice. And I think that any team having to deal with that is not what they want. So maybe it is in Red Bull's best interest to have a driver that's slightly terrible and doesn't bother the driver that's doing really well. But it doesn't look good for that driver. And that 
and realistically for the team they need two drivers that are going to consistently be up there p1 p2 p1 p2 every weekend yeah and uh my current lack of sombrero and plethora of clothing i'm currently wearing is a testament to how bad Checo Perez's season has been in that sense but I for one I'm glad he did he's kept his contract for next year because I think it's going to lead to a, a much more exciting season and potentially a fight for the Constructors Championship but that's predictions for next year so we'll save that for another podcast but I'm just going to give my panel a chance to plug anything they want to plug before we wrap up this this bumper episode for you and then we go into our we will be going into our driver grades podcast in a few weeks which is a bit of a fun tradition now but but I'll just hand over to you guys then Jared tell us more about Hit the Apex and yourself you're mute mate sorry host Hit the Apex podcast it's on all the good podcast platforms got a season review episode that i'm going to be doing similar to this one coming out in a couple of weeks time and also a review of the supercars championship season as well here in australia and then yeah i've got a live blogs that i run for the raw.com.au as well for all the f1 races so yeah go check that out and also the grid talk merch check that out too appreciate the extra plug there from you louis where can people hear and see more from you Honestly, they just find me on here <laughs> as, a, as the co-host of the Grid Talk podcast. Make sure you are following the Grid Talk podcast at Grid Talk UK on all the socials. So it's quite nice to have that consistent at, even on YouTube, we are at Grid Talk UK. So make sure to follow us. And then if you want to follow me, you can follow me on X, it's Edwards underscore L underscore G. And that is it. Right, you all plug Grid Talk so I don't have to. Thank you very much for that. You've done my job for me. All of our race shows do go out live straight after the event. Obviously, we're now in the closed season, so things will be a little bit more pre-recorded for in the time being. But generally, you can join in on the action live in YouTube and comment, and then uh, we'll do a post-show as well where we can answer your questions. Our audio version of the show will go up on Amazon Fire, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Verbal, and Pocket Cast. Just search for Formula 1 Grid Talk for our back catalogue of shows, previews, reactions, interviews qualifying race results all kinds of stuff we've got on there we've got we've got hundreds and hundreds of episodes literally but we also run a patreon as well so if you want to help us continue what we're doing please consider donating to us and everything does go back into the show to improve your experience we will be back soon as i said before for our traditional driver grades podcast which is always good fun but thank you for listening and thank you for for continuing to support grid talk so it's goodbye for now from grid talk presented by bet online